You're listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled The Search for Meaning. Hello, my radio friends. Welcome to the program today. The topic I present today may incur some deep thought, and I hope you will give serious consideration to what I'll share with you in this program. Have you ever wondered why am I here? Why do I exist? Or is there any meaning to life? And if you've thought about this, you're in good company because those questions have been considered by many in the past. I'd like to suggest at the outset that it depends on your world view about origins. There are two very distinct and opposing world views regarding origins, those being special creation and evolution. Now, many people attempt to satisfy their need for meaning in life by engaging in various activities or mind pursuits, and here are some. Through wealth, getting rich, having a luxury car, expensive house, fine clothes, and other possessions are the goals, and that provides some sort of meaning. However, all that's lost to them when they die. So all their efforts to gain wealth are ultimately a waste of time. And then there's another thing, through control. These people find satisfaction in it by having power over people, by authority, manipulation or coercion. And then there are others who like to be admired by others. Vanity, fame, beauty, popularity make people feel good and wanted. Another endeavour is through pleasure. Sports, dining, shopping, entertainment, sensuality are some of the ways people seek to find meaning. In the Bible, in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you can read of the experiment King Solomon tried out on himself to find meaning of life. He tried all kinds of things out, such as I've listed so far, but he was very disappointed with the final outcome. Still others attempt to find meaning in their lives via their careers. Getting ahead, being promoted, being respected and recognised by others brings them satisfaction. However, when such people reach retirement age, there's often much dissatisfaction. And I've personally spoken with men who've been very successful in business and enjoyed the respect of others for their achievements, yet retirement was disappointing for them because they lost their purpose for living. One of these ex-businessmen told me that retirement was the worst decision he ever made. Others look for meaning in elitism, being proud of their social status, their nationalism, their race, their gender, their ethnic origin, or even religious affiliation. Many others seek meaning in knowledge. 
their educational achievements and or status, whether it be in science, philosophy, their research, or in the humanities or other disciplines, gives them satisfaction and some sense of meaning. But at death, all their knowledge is lost to them. Then there are those who seek meaning in sin. Such would include alcohol or substance abuse, crime, sexual immorality, gossip, greed, arrogance, and abuse of others. However, all these things fail to give a deep sense of meaning in life. They're rather superficial, and often people express an internal emptiness despite their successes when they follow those particular pursuits. One of the outstanding reasons for people committing suicide is that they fail to find a purpose to continue living. Now I want to come back to those worldviews. One major worldview about origins, as already stated, is that of evolution. Evolution eliminates God from its belief system. Evolutionists are basically humanists. But you must realise evolution is a belief. It is not science. The theory is that what came into existence came about by itself, by pure chance, without any external intervention. That being the case, there is and was no reason for anyone existing. According to this particular view, life just happened. Because, as there is their claim, that man is the product of mere chance, man therefore has no more meaning than a maggot. In an earlier program, you may have heard me mention a piece of philosophy proposed by Blaise Pascal. This particular proposition is known as Pascal's Wager, and it goes like this. Firstly, if there is no God, and you believe there is no God, you live, you die, and that's it. That's all you get. Nothing further gained. Number two, if there is no God, although you might believe that God does exist, you are no better off than those who don't believe. You live, you die, and that's it. Nothing is gained. Number three, if God does exist, but you don't believe he exists, you live, you die, and that's it. Again, nothing is gained. Number four, if God does exist and you believe his existence, there is the potential for everything to be gained. I've read many true life stories of people who felt like they were wandering through life feeling uncertain about their existence and troubled by that uncertainty. But everything changed when they accepted Christ into their lives. The uncertainty disappeared and they became happy and satisfied, just like as if they'd been lost and had found their way home. Most people miss out because they never discover that simple truth. We can find peace and satisfaction only in trusting God 
and serving others. Ironically, we cannot find personal satisfaction by trying to please ourselves. Self-centred pursuits leave us unsatisfied and craving even more wealth, power, pleasure, beauty, status, etc. in a vain attempt to find security and satisfaction. The irony of finding meaning is that we do not find purpose or meaning simply by looking after our own self-interests. The second worldview is according to what the Bible teaches. The first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, is a narrative of how the world and what's in it came into being. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And as you read further, a day-by-day account is given of what God made on days 1 to 6 and then on day 7 he rested from his creative work. That day, the seventh day, God blessed and sanctified, setting it apart for a special purpose, and he called it the Sabbath. Genesis 1 verse 27 tells about the creation of man. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Reading on, we see where God gave man a purpose. In verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God followed that up by explaining what man should eat. The original diet was plant-based. In other words, a vegetarian diet. There are three important points that must not be overlooked in those two verses. The first is that God made man in his own image. Now we don't know exactly what God looks like, so we don't really know if the physical appearance of God and man are similar. But we do know that imprinted in man are some God-like characteristics, such as the ability to determine right from wrong, the ability to love, to worship, to have emotions and the like. There is a spiritual and psychological empathy between God and man. The Bible clearly shows how God has a yearning for the company of man. And within man, there is an inherent need of God. And someone described it this way. Within every person... There's a God-shaped hole in their heart. Connection with God gives meaning to life. In verse 28, God gives two other purposes for living. The first is to procreate, that is, to have children. However, with having children, there is a responsibility to care for those children, to train them to be responsible, loving, caring individuals, to reflect the character of the Creator. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 6 explains, 
Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Sometimes this verse includes the wording, the wording, train up a child in the way of the Lord. Procuration is more than having kids. It involves caring for all their needs, training them by example, guidance and instruction, that they too will recognise their noble heritage and their creator. The other thing that must be emphasised is that man was given the responsibility to care for the environment. The actual wording is that man is to rule over the creatures in the sea, in the air and on the land. But rule doesn't mean to boss over. Instead, it means to protect and care for. To care for those creatures includes caring for their needs their food supply, their resting places, and where they move about, that is, their environment. The creatures that God made also includes other human beings. So the injunction God made also includes caring for our fellow man, including the environment in which man lives. The expression to rule over does not mean to exploit. Anyone who's the least bit observant in these modern times has to recognise that the human race has not cared for the environment very well. Fish stocks are low, pollution's everywhere, sea, air and land. Species of wildlife are disappearing at an alarming rate and we have a situation where it's becoming quite clear that given the rates of environmental degradation, life on this planet cannot continue for much longer. With so many billions in the world today who do not acknowledge God as their creator, is it any wonder that they do not care for the planet? We'll go on straight afterwards. We're going to have a little break right now. I'm only human I'm just a woman Help me believe In what I could be And all that I am Show me the stairway I have to climb Lord, for my sake Teach me to take One day at a time One day at a time Sweet Jesus That's all I'm asking from you Just give me the strength Tomorrow 
and you walked among men. Well, Jesus, you know, if you're looking below, it's worse now than then. Cheating and stealing, violence and crime. So for my sake, teach me to take one day at a time. two other things that give meaning to life. The first of these is law. Law provides a framework for life. It delineates boundaries of behaviour. And within that, one must recognise that there is a higher being who provides those laws for our own well-being and for the protection of others. God's law is a good thing. It's complete and it cannot be improved. Those who try to live their lives by doing whatever they please, regardless of the rights of others, are not really satisfied. There is no real meaning in their lives. But by obeying God's commandments indicates we recognise his authority and power. Secondly, in doing so, it shows we have a purpose in life. Life has a meaning for us to please God and conform to his will. To claim, as some do, that the Ten Commandments were abolished at the cross is one of the most ridiculous ideas ever to have emerged. To strip the law from the scriptures is to strip away a purpose for living. It strips away God's authority. It strips away the definition of sin. And it strips away the need for a saviour. And it also indicates that man is trying to set himself up above God. If you're one of those who believes in the non-relevance of God's law today, I suggest you've been grossly deceived. And might I suggest that it's time for you to read your Bible and find out the real situation. Start reading in the book of Romans and then read the first and second epistles, that's letters of John near the end of the Bible. God's law, the Ten Commandments, has never, ever been abolished. 
it still applies and you are subject, subject to it whether you like it or not. You will be judged by its principles. Now, earlier today I mentioned that there are many people who'd been confused until they met someone. That someone was Jesus Christ. When these people understood who Christ is, that he, God the Word, came to our sinful planet and died to pay the death penalty that we incurred, and that he did this because he loves us, a complete change sweeps over those otherwise lost individuals. Hopelessness is replaced with hope. Aimlessness is replaced with purpose and direction. Sorrow is replaced with joy. Meaning is found in a person, Jesus. At the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, after King Solomon's grand experiment, he came up with a conclusion. And before making his conclusion, Solomon pronounced the exasperation he experienced through all the search for meaning. It's recorded in Ecclesiastes 12.8. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, that's Solomon. Everything is meaningless. But the last two verses of Ecclesiastes 12 hold the conclusion, and this is what he says. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it's good or evil. Fearing God means obeying and respecting him. It also includes accountability. This brings meaning into life. To know God means recognising that he is infinite in power and is beyond all time. He is eternal. In fearing God is the element of recognising that he will determine whether anyone should or should not receive eternal life. John chapter 529 puts it clearly that those who've done good will receive eternal life and those who've been habitually evil will be damned. And these are John's words. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. In my way of thinking, life has meaning as we commit our lives to the Lord and accept Christ's sacrifice for ourselves. Keeping God's commandments means accepting God's authority as Creator, as Redeemer, and as our Master. Obedience is the key, but it must be an obedience of gratitude, of love and respect. You know, we only get one shot at this life. It's a training ground. It's a test site. What we do now will determine our future destiny. To do our best has meaning. The Apostle Paul wrote of life as running a race, and he pointed out 
that we only run to win. May you run to win as you endeavour to please the Lord and as you do, your life will also have meaning. <laughs> 